0: From Critco Media. I think that to be a great car designer, you wouldn't be asking the question of how you can get into it without this being true. But to be great, you have to love cars. Whether you're born with it or it happens from a very young age, you're not going to find a passion in cars. You just have it.
1: That was the voice of Jack Roush Jr., our guest today on Cars That Matter.
0: This is Cars That Matter.
1: This is Robert Ross. Welcome to Cars That Matter. I've got a really great guest today, a fellow that I've had a chance to speak with a few times, Jack Roush, Jr. Jack, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Jack is vice president of marketing at Roush Performance in Livonia, Michigan. So we're certainly talking by way of Zoom link. I'm in Los Angeles and Jack's in beautiful Livonia. I suspect your weather might be a little more interesting than ours right now. I don't know about that. <laughs> certainly glad to have you on the show. The name Roush does not need a whole lot of introduction. Jack, you had a pretty good mentor. Everybody knows about your dad. I guess he started as a development engineer with Ford, right, back in the
0: mid-60s? He started as a quality engineer on the line of the very first Mustang if you can believe that. Well,
1: Mustang certainly run deep in the Roush family, so there's a great connection there, and some, not some little bit of providence, I think, that's kind of played out. Of course, he got involved in NASCAR, and that was the big entry into the big game. That was in the 80s? Late 80s.
0: That was his first... Professional racing, but that was definitely one of the biggest as far as views and all that sort of thing.
1: Well, certainly as the winningest team owner in the history of the sport, it certainly set the stage for some exciting things that were to come. But I guess racing really is in the Roush DNA. Talk about how you started racing. I understand you started pretty early.
0: When I was only about two months old, my dad ordered a go kart for me. Obviously, I was too young to drive, but I had two older sisters. He went away on a drag racing trip, and he was injured pretty bad. I think he was in the hospital for about a week. And when he came home, he shows up and he sees the big box for the go-kart sitting outside. And my mom was pretty furious that he was involved in this dangerous sport of racing. gets injured and he's already ready to have the baby up in the same line.
1: That's great. Well, the apple obviously didn't fall far from the tree. He started karting at a very early age.
0: Yeah, six years old.
1: That's incredible. I mean, most kids are barely out of elastic pants at that age, and here you are behind the wheel of a little cart. It must have been a great way to really kind of establish the formative talents that are required of a racer.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I consider myself very lucky. You know, now I feel like I'm wired for that type of racing. Yeah, it's a great thing to have grown up with.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, going from karting to real cars, I guess it's a step that so many professional racers make. When did you get behind the wheel of a real car and what was the arc of that career?
0: It was not until much later. I grew up go-karting. I have other passions, business and technology and music. Through college, I continued karting, even a little bit after college. That was my main pursuit for racing for quite a while. I just got an itch to get into something bigger. I wanted to hop into cars for the first time, and that was not in road racing. It was in drag racing. I got to do that for a couple of years. I really appreciate that style of racing, but it was different than what I grew up with. Eventually, I had the opportunity to go out and run with a team run by Dean Martin in the Grand Am series. And that was an amazing transition point in my racing career.
1: You drove a Mustang in that, is that right? Obviously. I guess anything other than a Mustang need not apply, huh?
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: <laughs> so I imagine that in drag racing that set a whole different set of skills and nerves of steel that you have to prepare for and almost by the time you're done preparing, it's over.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: From a road racing standpoint, obviously in the Grand Am Series and then the Pirelli World Challenge, which I guess you went on to drive in, obviously there is a lot about getting ready for a race and I wanted to pick your brain, learn a little about what a racer really thinks about in terms of a specific race, a specific track. Where do you start?
0: There's so much to it. Racing is such a competitive sport, especially in Grand Am and World Challenge. You're up against some of the best drivers in the world. You have to live it. You have to make sure that you get track time, that your reflexes are tuned to racing, and even specifically the vehicle that you're going to drive. Diving into the track itself, what I do, whether it's a new track or not, I make sure to spend some time in the simulator. Now we're doing much more with the simulator, which we can talk about later. But even before that, I'd make sure to go into iRacing and study the tracks. It's been an invaluable tool as I go to new tracks around the country. Even for tracks that I have been to, to come back and already be fresh for that first lap.
1: That's really interesting. Obviously, a whole new set of tools that drivers didn't have back in, quote, in the day. And I suspect it makes for better drivers and more finely honed racing. You talked about the iRacing simulator. And obviously, with this whole current COVID scenario that we've all been dealing with since early part of 2020, you started the Roush iRacing League. What's that all about? Does that mean a guy like me can actually try to compete with a real professional? How does it work?
0: Oh, absolutely. Pretty simple way is fun up. During COVID, it was beginning of April this year, we were locked down in Michigan just like many people were all around the world. And it's been a hard thing that everyone's been through, being locked up and not being able to go out and enjoy racing or other parts of life. And we were watching what NASCAR was doing in some of the other series and it just occurred to us, why don't we start our own iRacing series, involve some of the best racers from around the world that we know, NASCAR drivers, road racers, put them together and create a show for people to enjoy. And that's what we did. We spun up a number of different all-star races, got a ton of views, and we've continued that momentum. Now we're running what we're calling the World Tour Series. We're going to many of the iconic tracks from all around the world. And it's not just our circle of drivers anymore. We're inviting people from the public to take part, which is really cool.
1: That's pretty exciting. Imagine Joe Fan going in there and being able to play in Dodger Stadium. I mean, it's never going to happen, but this is a case where everybody gets behind essentially a simulator, a virtual vehicle, and they all have the same tools to work with. Certainly not the same skill sets, but the same hardware.
0: Right. And the funny thing about that is, like I said, I've used the simulator for many years. I've always been a little hesitant to get too deep into the racing side of it because I didn't want to, I knew it was a little bit different than real life, even though it's very close and still extremely useful. But the guys who are the best, they spend a ton of time in the simulator. The people who are the true iRacing experts, the pro racers in real life have a hard time keeping up with them.
1: I'll bet they do. I bet a lot of those iRacers don't even own a car but you may be competing against a 10 year old kid that just made his mark in karting. That's pretty funny.
0: They're really good I have a ton of respect for those guys and I'm trying to get better at it myself.
1: You touched on something I'm curious about the mentality of a racer. I think about going to the zoo you see all these different animals and sometimes they'll put these wildly different animals in the same cage. I mean they're so different they won't bother each other. So you'll see like a cassowary in the cage with an eater, And they ignore each other because they don't even know each other exists. In the world of auto racing, you've got drag racing, you've got NASCAR racing, you've got endurance racing, you've got off-road, you've got rally, you've got all these different kinds of racing. Is it possible for a driver to, as much as you've alluded in your career, how easy is it to kind of jump ship from one type of racing to another?
0: I think it's very hard. I did drag racing for a little bit. I wouldn't say I was an expert at it. I did pretty good. But the different forms of racing are so unique and this competition is so high. You really have to dedicate a lot of time and effort to develop that one skill. So I think it's very difficult for people to really be great at more than one type of racing.
1: So much like in the musical world, if you're a composer, that's wonderful. You probably have an instrument of choice, but chances are you're not going to be a master at more than one type of musical instrument. You're going to focus on that and become as good as you can possibly be. Absolutely. Do you have any racing stories, any incidents that really stick with you?
0: Probably my proudest moment in racing was in March of 2010. We were at Homestead Speed.
1: That's in Florida, right?
0: Yep. My co-driver, and I think it was the Coney Challenge at that time, the same as the Grand M Cup or the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. That's all kind of the same thing. Sure. We were racing at Homestead. We had a very fast car, very just awesome team. Billy Johnson, amazing co-driver that I've learned a tremendous amount from over the years. We show up mm-hmm. and we get the pole. and after qualifying, the series didn't like a part on our car. They didn't like the brake that we had, thinking that it gave us an unfair front down force advantage. And we had to take it off and start from the back. We also didn't have the chance to retune the car if that was the case, but we went from the back of the field all the way to the front and won the race. And it also happened to be the 400th Roush win in professional racing.
1: That was almost like preordained. That's an awesome story. The 400th win in Roush history, and you did it from the back of the class.
0: Yeah, I don't think I can top that one.
1: That is fantastic. Boy, thanks for sharing that little bit of inspiration. That's a great thing to look back on and provide a little inspiration for every day going forward. I love it. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back with Jack Roush Jr. for more Cars That Better.
0: Welcome to Life Done Better. Listen to the weekly episodes where supermodel and health coach Jill DeYoung talks to some of the world's most inspiring women in health and wellness. It's the place for all the unicorns who strive to create a life on their own terms. Join us to explore, discover, and create a life done better together. Listen and subscribe from Kurt Co Media, media for your mind.
1: We're back with Jack Roush, Jr. Jack, let's switch topics a little. Certainly that racing experience has probably informed a considerable amount of what you do, let's call it, during your day job. And that's an important job because you're essentially at the helm there in marketing and development at Roush Performance. Roush Performance has been around for a while, hasn't it?
0: Yes, since 96.
1: Help us explain what Roush as a manufacturer is. Is I know that in the aftermarket industry, there are a lot of companies that will hang parts on your car. Even beloved Shelby's are, in fact, cars that are already titled owned by their owners. And they go to the facility and they basically get built up by that company. Your cars are a little different, aren't
0: they? We have a really different model for our vehicle program. We do sell parts as well. But for our official Roush vehicles, we take a bailment, or what's called a bailment of vehicles from Ford, which is we take the vehicle vehicles from the production line before they go to the dealership or are owned by any consumers. They come to our plant and that's where we do the upgrading. We make the modifications and they ship out to the dealers to be sold. That's actually a very difficult thing to do. It adds a lot of cost. If our superchargers are included in one of those packages, we have to get additional EO certification for wheels and tires suspension. We have to go out and get it certified with the Department of Transportation.
1: You meet the nicest people there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's like the high-speed lane change, different things with emissions, that sort of thing.
1: It sounds to me like it's much the same thing that Alpina is doing with BMW. For instance, they pull the cars off the BMW production line, they go to the Alpina factory about 60 miles away, they get loaded with Alpina goodies, and they go back to BMW, they get tidied up, and then to a BMW dealer. So they are essentially a BMW product with an Alpina imprimatur
0: on them. Right, I do think that's very similar.
1: Well, that makes it very appealing to know that the car is indeed a author Ford product. I suspect there's some collectability aspects there that make it particularly alluring to guys that like to keep their cars for a while. When Roush Performance was established, if I'm not mistaken, you were involved heavily in supercharging. Is that right? You're really known for developing supercharging and forced induction on some of these motors?
0: Yeah, superchargers have been a big part of Roush Performance forever. Really, looking at our company overall, going back to the very beginning in the 70s, our core has been powertrain. My dad, more than anything, actually. ever since he was a little kid, he's been playing around with engines. At first it was with lawnmower engines, believe it or not.
1: That's what they put in those electric cars, isn't it? The hybrids. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny, the internal combustion engine, the principles of that certainly have been around for 150 years, damn near. But technologies for induction have changed, and even in the 90s, I mean, things like supercharging and turbocharging were fairly rare phenomena for engines. Most engines were naturally aspirated. Now, of course, forced induction is the way of the land because because engines need turbocharging or whatnot to maintain enough combustion efficiency to stay legal in all the states and all the areas around the world where emissions requirements are so demanding. Turbocharging has certainly helped there, smaller displacement and yield great power. But you guys aren't about small displacement.
0: I would say that's <laughs> mostly true.
1: Obviously, Roush Performance is known for its crate engines, but you do more than sell parts. Take me on a little walk through the back room of Roush Performance and the back labs and the development galleries where all the stuff that happens in the R&D, you're heavily involved in that, aren't you?
0: We do a lot with the development of our vehicles. It's We're kind of a unusual company. With Roush, the name Roush, you typically would think of Roush Performance or our racing teams. What is not talked about much is Roush industries, which is really the bulk of what our company is. And that's where we do engineering services for the automotive industry, for the military, for entertainment parks. The list goes on, many different things. So that level of engineering we bring to the performance space, I guess you could say I'm biased, but I think it's accurate that we spend more effort, money, and apply more expertise to developing our performance products than probably most, if not all other companies that you would view being similar to ours.
1: That's really fascinating. So in other words, whatever lessons are learned and advanced engineering applications might be applied to developing some great thrill ride or a roller coaster or a military application might in some way find its way trickling down into one of the great cars or trucks that you build. Absolutely. Of course, on the surface, it would look like what you do for a living has a great big blue oval on it. I know that Ford and Roush are kind of synonymous with each other, aren't they?
0: Oh, absolutely. We've been very lucky to have a great relationship with Ford for many years on a number of different fronts, including the racing. For Raj performance, Ford already produces amazing vehicles and we put our own spin on it, try to make them really wild and really blend the line between racing and streetcars. But, you know, it's a great package to start from.
1: That's a good point because you're right. Off the lot, Mustang GT is a pretty fun ride. I'm a real fan. I mean, I'll make no bones about that. I think of all the contemporary American sports cars, I think my pick would have to be the Mustang, probably even over above the Corvette because the Mustang is just uh, maybe even just a little more authentic in its own way. Corvette's a fantastic car, but it's so way out there that Mustang actually connects me with my roots. And I think a lot of people feel that way. What does it take to make a great car or truck? even better.
0: There's no secret formula. We have to look at what the offering is that year and try to figure out, is there an opportunity to make it better? Or can we also do it in a way that is of value? We could easily spend a lot of money to develop something that no one wants or no one could afford, but that's not going to help anybody. Each year, we do have to look at what the offering is and figure out exactly how we can help upgrade it for performance.
1: Speaking of those Ford offerings, it's funny. I mean, it used to be there was a whole family tree of vehicles, but it's no secret that Ford has pretty much put their stake in the ground as one of the first OEMs, manufacturers, to declare that they're cutting back on sedans. And darn it, if you want a Ford, it's probably going to be a Mustang or a truck. (laughs) And uh, obviously, they've got their new e-vehicles coming in, and there's still going to be some other offerings. But From a performance standpoint, if you want a Roush-prepared Ford product, it's going to be a Mustang or it's going to be one of the F-150s. Is that how
0: it goes? Pretty much. We do have a new Ranger right now.
1: Ah, right. I did want to talk to you about that Ranger. That's their midsize truck, yeah? Let's start there and then work backward.
0: Yeah, so the Ranger, it's a great platform. We do an off-road upgraded package with that, upgraded styling, wheels, tires, exhaust. It's a lot of fun. For some people, an F-150 or a Super Duty, may be too large and that's really I think where the Ranger shines we do offer a Super Duty as well looking across those three different trucks there's a pretty big difference from towing to capability horsepower all of that so the Ranger really adds just another element to that lineup
1: there's no question about it the Super Duties and those F-150s can get pretty big but of course that's probably the idea if you're after one of those so many owners use them actually for business for work for hauling towing of course some guys and gals, I suppose, just want them for fun. I know I had a chance to play around with that Raptor for about a week and man, that's a truck to fall in love with. Give us a glimpse of your real hot rod truck. If someone says, I want the most outrageous performance truck possible, What do they order?
0: That's a tough one to answer because that can mean such different things. I wrestled with that myself. I recently got one of our trucks, our off-road F-150SC, supercharged, 650 horsepower. For me, that was kind of the best choice. Ridiculous power. The Raptor is great. The Raptor probably is a better off-road truck to some extent, but the problem with the Raptor for me was that I need to tow my kid's go-kart trailer.
1: (laughs) Well, see, it does run in the family.
0: So the added horsepower and a little bit stiffer suspension, although it is very capable off-road, the SC was the best choice. But for some people who want to do more off-roading, take it out and do jumps and really push it hard on a trail, the Raptor may be the best choice.
1: You've also got one called the Nightmare. Tell us about that.
0: So the Nightmare street truck, that's really optimized for street performance. In 2019, we were able to claim the title of the quickest production truck with that.
1: What is that about, To Zero to six?
0: and something or other? You do quarter miles? The 0-60 to 60 time with a regular cab 4x4 four four, is 3.9 seconds.
1: That's Porsche 911 territory. Yeah. I had a chance to sample one of your Stage 3 Mustangs a couple of years ago. I produced an event with Rob Report called Car of the Year, and it was a great annual event. We gather about a dozen or so fantastic new sports and luxury cars, and one of the participants that year was a beautiful Roush Stage 3 Mustang, and I know it scared the hell out of some of the people because they didn't know how to drive a stick shift, but I was thrilled to see that Tremec 6-speed in between those seats. It made my heart glad to know that you can still shift gears for fun if you want.
0: Mustangs in general are something I still am very passionate about. The Stage 3 is a pretty impressive offering, although we do have a special edition that even outdoes our Stage 3 this year. The Jack Roush edition has 775 horsepower as the Stage 3 still extremely capable. A bit less responsive is at 750 horsepower. Is there such a thing as too much horsepower for these cars? I don't think so.
1: That's the right answer, isn't it? It is available as an automatic as well. Is that right?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: That's a fine automatic transmission too. It's a 10 speed.
0: It is really impressive what Ford has done with that. If you don't know how to drive a stick or have shoulder issues, or are doing a lot of rush hour traffic driving The automatic is a great choice. In fact, straight line, the auto is super quick.
1: Well, we're certainly going to look forward to the next iteration of the Roush. I would hope there's a Jack Roush edition for the model year 2021, too.
0: If we do another one, it for sure won't be anytime soon. We don't want to do special editions year after year.
1: So a special edition really is a special edition.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love it. Jack, look into your crystal ball. Can you tell us where the industry's going? Roush Performance is about just that, performance. And you're dealing with these great internal combustion engines and supercharging and all the fundamentals that have everything to do with excitement behind the wheel. But now we're talking about electric vehicles, self-driving cars, hybrid technology. Do you have any thoughts? Are you making allowances for these things? Are you potentially embracing them going forward?
0: What I can say is we're looking at a lot of different things. It's a really exciting time with the way off-road is taking off and the different types of technology that's bringing up. I'm not seeing a lack of enthusiasm for performance. People are just getting more and more into it. Just the form of that is changing over time. Where we'll be in five years, I can't say. No one can, but we're definitely looking very closely at it.
1: And I imagine if you're doing as much R&D as I suspect that you're really doing some fundamental boots-on-the-ground work with a lot of the OEMs to, or with Ford to look into ways to bring even more experience. Excitement to some of these new platforms. Absolutely. Cars that matter is going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back.
0: A moment of your time. A new podcast from Kurt Co Media. I'm currently twenty-one years old, and today like I'm going to read a poem. Felt like magic extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take of care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your awards. Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dreams. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is. Really being going to stop me from
1: playing the piano. She
0: buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't
1: love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find The ones beauty that are of rock climbing is that you can
0: only focus on what's right in front And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at com slash a moment of your time.
1: Welcome back to Cars That Matter. On this show, sometimes we talk about the other side of the coin, which is luxury and design. Do you think there's a, could I call it an intersection between those? Is there some luxurious aspect to the products you're developing? Is it the experience itself that's a luxury, just to be able to perform at that level?
0: Yeah, I do think that's very true. That will change with different things that we offer, like our special editions. You'll see higher grades of interior, or in some cases, paint. One interesting thing to look at with that question is the ride quality. We could easily stiffen up the cars and make them a little bit better on the track. But, and the guys were doing that from the beginning. We have a really enthusiastic group of engineers who've been around forever. They don't really care how harsh it is.
1: They want that extra fraction of a second, don't they?
0: Yeah. My dad actually put a kibosh on that and said, we can't do that. This is not comfortable. We need to make these cars comfortable and very high performance in terms of handling. Since that point. I think that was probably about 2005, you won't find that overly stiff type of ride quality anymore. We want everything. We're greedy. We want people to be comfortable for long drives, but also really enjoy being able to carve the corners.
1: I remember the stage three Roush Mustang that I was driving, the handling was truly ferocious. I mean, this was a sports car, but it was a very compliant ride. It was a great ride. And I thought, wow, this could almost qualify as daily driver. In some cases, it's almost damning with faint praise, but in fact, it's a great thing to call a car. If it can qualify as a daily driver and still deliver sportiness and performance, it delivers everything.
0: It's actually kind of a myth in road racing and engineering to think that a car needs to be stiff to handle well. Look at drag racing. You want the car to be soft. Soft suspension is going to be better for drag racing because you're going to get that weight transfer. In certain periods of my road racing career, we actually were very dominant by going with a much softer setup that was more compliant that let the tires last longer, that rode the bumps and didn't disconnect from the road. With the softer suspension, the tires are able to not skip.
1: These are complex equations and you have to take all of those components and systems into account. put you on the spot here, have you got any advice for people who want to get into the car design, engineering, and or the racing scene? Where do they start?
0: For car development, I think that to be a great car designer, you wouldn't be asking the question of how you can get into it without this being true. But To be great, you have to love cars, whether you're born with it or it happens from a very young age. You're not going to find a passion in cars. You just have it. For young people looking to get into it, I would try to learn in every way that you can, taking as much reading on articles. There's a lot of great books out there. Carol Smith did some really great books. They are not new books, but really great books on tuning vehicles.
1: Certainly, a formal education is probably going to be an essential component if someone wants to go work with an OEM or with an organization like yours. But you're right. I think getting in on the ground floor as a youngster allows somebody to get some good theoretical and hopefully some hands-on experience. Hands-on experience behind the wheel of something like a cart. How did your kids get interested in that? Is it because dad did it?
0: They started very young too. Actually, they started even younger than I did at five. For me, I wanted to not push them into it but give them the chance to experience it. You know, it's kind of my obligation to give them that chance that I was given growing up. They enjoy it. It can also be very frustrating. It's a sport. It's extremely competitive. It's pushing you to be more than what you are right now.
1: That's right. I guess they have to learn lessons that they might not learn in the average elementary school softball game where every child gets a prize. Racing is uh, racing and there's a winner and then there isn't. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe it teaches some good life lessons early on too. Yeah. Obviously you're a Ford guy. But I don't know if I'd be out of line asking if you ever owned a different kind of
0: car. What's your first car, Jack? In high school, I had a car to go to work when I turned 16, but it wasn't mine. It was my dad's. It was a Mercure XR4GI pace car.
1: Man, that's a car you don't hear about much.
0: It was also extremely stiff, but very fast. In college, I had a Bronco 2, a great little truck. Yeah, I've owned Fords my whole life.
1: You talk the talk and you walk the walk. That's the way it's done. That's fantastic. Any really super fun stuff in the garage that has nothing to do with cars?
0: I'd say they're all cars right now. Maybe one day I might get an off road vehicle or something like that, but I'm having a lot of fun with my street cars. And actually, I take that back. The go karts, my sons are in go karts right now. And one of my daughters was doing racing with us too, but she kind of lost interest. But I got jealous of the kids and bought myself a go kart. So me and the two boys go out a number of times each year and and go-kart
1: race. That's got to be very gratifying seeing the family lineage continue with a sport that's one that you literally grew up with from the youngest of ages. If you got a genie in a bottle, you're walking along one of those beaches in Florida after the homestead race, and the guy pops out and says he can have any three cars in the world, historical cars, new cars, doesn't matter what they are. What would you want?
0: It'd be something that I already have. Probably a stage three.
1: You know, those are the words of a happy man. There's nothing more gratifying than not wanting anything at all.
0: One of the cars I most revere is the Ford GT. Really, the whole tradition of that car is just and you know the story the early cars and up to the current Le Mans race car Yeah, I do have access I can take out one of the Le Mans cars and drive it I know people but honestly driving a Mustang there's something really great about it you can drive it down the street you can have fun you don't have to worry so much about getting rock chips or other things or people harassing you and getting in your way because they will do that some on the street but not as bad as like the Ford GT
1: that's a really interesting outlook. Some people listening might say you're crazy. Wait a minute, I want that Ford GT, which is, to put it in context, is a half million to a million dollar car, depending on which auction you're going to because allocation's so impossible. But I would have to agree, and I'm certainly not the driver you are, but I had a chance to go to the Ford track in Utah in 2016 when the Ford GT was just released, and they had also just come out with a second year of the Mustang Shelby GT350R. And I had a chance to spend a day on the track with each car. I had two days there. I am here to tell you that Mustang brought a smile to my face like nothing else. Jack, I want to thank you for being with us today. Jack Roush, Jr., Vice President Marketing at Roush Performance, has been our guest and talking about all things Ford. And it was a great deal of fun. Jack, thanks so much for joining us. I wish you all the best in the coming model year.
0: Same here. Thanks, Robert.
1: Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross, and thanks for listening.
0: Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.